Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. This is our 417th show of ROI, and our guest for today's show is Dr. Paul Lassley, professor of sociology at Iowa State University, and we're going to be talking about the Iowa Rural-Urban Schism. The history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Sapsapital, and our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. This is the opening segment of the show called Farouk Tanaran, and today we'll be talking about the Iowa Rural-Urban Schism with Dr. Paul Lasley, professor of sociology at Iowa State University. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you. Glad to be here. Great. Can you start us off by giving us some background into what we mean when we talk about rural and urban? Yes, you know, that, that there's a lot of different definitions, but but in Iowa, we have about 64% of the state's population is defined as urban, uh, and that's places at 2,500 or larger. Uh, rural represents about 36% of the state's population. That would include small towns of less than 2,500. Uh, it would include farm and uh, farm families, as well as those living in the country but not in town. So it might be called open country residents. Uh, and that's a census definition. Uh, <clears throat> now, there are other people that would say, you know, Dropping to 2,500 is really rural, uh, and but but that will be what I'll sort of be based uh, my comments on today. Okay, so we're talking about the rural-urban schism. Um, first of all, can you give us just some data on on what you mean by that? Um, I saw in in your article. Um, for example, that Trump carried 91 of 93 rural counties and that yeah. Biden carried the urban communities um, and that Biden appears to have roughly the same percentage, about 10 percent uh, of the, the, you know, the rural counties um, as uh, Hillary Clinton had. Um, so can you just talk to us a little bit about what we what we mean when we talk about this divide, and then we'll kind of get into specifics in a minute. Yeah. Well, of course, in the most, as you mentioned, the most recent election, we've seen uh, uh, very sharp and distinct voting patterns. Uh, we've seen that in Iowa. We've seen that nationally. Uh, the Democrats tended to do better in urban places. Uh, uh, the GOP uh, did much better in rural places. Uh, the, the transformation in voting records is that the Democrats uh, tend to be uh, taking over some of the suburbs that the Republicans have historically handled. Uh, and so they're seeing really sort of two or maybe a twin culture uh, not only in voting records, but we see that across the landscape. Um, there's lots of things going on, uh, but historically, one has to talk about 
the urbanization of American society. Uh, and that urbanization trend, while Iowa lags behind the national trend, we have seen the continued out-migration uh, from farms and small towns to uh, larger cities. Uh, you travel down any road in Iowa and you see urban areas that, that, have, that have done quite well since World War II. Um, and at the same time, we've seen many small towns and rural counties that have lost population uh, very significantly uh, since World War II. Uh, but in some cases, we've seen towns and counties that have lost population now for 100 years. Uh, the continued uh, urbanization, I think, drives this schism or this polarization uh, that rural areas, in fact, that I discuss in, in the article that you referenced, uh, Rural people feeling they are left behind, that they have not enjoyed the prosperity that uh, the urban uh, areas have. And you see that then reflected in voting patterns uh, that people feel, since they have not achieved the American dream, and much of those counties across the United States are are heavily dependent upon what I call extractive industries, agriculture, mining, forestry, and fishing. And in some cases, in several cases, it's viewed that, that the urban call for environmental protection, for preserving the resources, uh, whether it's groundwater quality or... or uh, old growth forest for spotted owls or uh, maintaining the coastlines uh, uh, or protecting national parks is an urban driven phenomenon and their their concern oftentimes is expressed that that uh, that this is an urban agenda uh, and will result in more government regulation and control over those extractive industries, and that certainly we've seen that played out in this last election. Uh, uh, in fact, the last two elections uh, about uh, coal fields, uh, coal miners, uh, we've seen that play out in Iowa with uh, the contentious Des Moines Waterworks uh, lawsuit that was that was uh, dismissed uh, two or three years ago, but that was viewed very much as a rural-urban uh, split. Urban people demanding changes in farming or in mining or forestry or fisheries. And I think that lies at the root of that people see their livelihoods being threatened by these outside forces, by these urban people that understand uh, their occupation or their industry. Paul, you uh, mentioned in your article the uh, the vote in Iowa, uh, the last election mm -hmm. at least was, uh, and I quote you, pent up signals of distress. Uh, yes. 
the the thing that I uh, I, I wonder the 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 people that uh, the rural areas are putting into office uh, are not their friends. Uh, and I, I just find that an oxymoron, and I just, I just wondered if you've given thought that, uh, you know, particularly we'll take a look at Biden and uh, versus uh, uh, he whose name we shall not utter, <laughs> uh, that uh, they, they do not have friends uh, in uh, the state or national GOP. And, and why do they still figure that they're going to be the savior of their uh, disappearing life? Well, I think part of the explanation is is that that um, uh, the Republicans have capitalized on social and cultural issues. Uh, and they feel that affiliation. So the issue of the Supreme Court of of, of of uh, uh, installing uh, more conservative judges uh, has a certain amount of appeal, uh, stacking the, uh, uh, the court system with with judges. In some ways, that harkens back to wanting to establish an America that that many people rightly or wrongly recall as the good old days. Yes. Uh, and if you look at the social issues that that have have polarized our society, whether it, and I suppose, you know, there's an endless list, but the ones that, that I think are terribly important in understanding Iowa is, is the freedom of choice on reproductive rights, uh, the LGBT, uh, marriage equality bill, uh, issues of Black Lives Matter, uh, issues of, of church and state and separation of church and state. Many of those divisive issues have 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 been, uh, uh, at least by many rural voters, are threatening. Uh, as I traveled the state in this last election, I heard lots of people concerned about if the Democrats are are elected, they'll take away our guns. And certainly yeah, uh, the Second Amendment has been getting a, a lot of attention, uh, the right to bear arms. Uh, we've seen, uh, unfortunately, uh, the abuse of that uh, with the January sixth uh, insurrection, but these are these really have little to do maybe with the economic picture of Iowa, but has an awful lot to do with people wanting to to uh, put people in office that will guarantee or or solidify their their values and beliefs about. Uh, religious freedoms or tolerance, uh, issues of, of tradition, of conservative values. And so I think, I think that while the economic issues are terribly important, I think a lot of people were motivated uh, in this last election because of their, their wanting to exert uh, their uh, uh, 
their beliefs in the political and judicial uh, realm. All right. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned to the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. The KALA website is your one-stop spot to find out more about your favorite radio station. Submit a public service announcement, catch up on news about KALA, and listening to any of our three stations, 885-1061 or The Stinger, is just a click away. Visit KALAFM.org. That's KALAFM.org. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Dr. Paul Lassley, professor of sociology at Iowa State University. And we're talking about the Iowa rural-urban schism. Our history buffs for today's show are Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. And Ed, as someone who has lived in both settings, both rural and urban, you get the first question. Thank you, Jay. Um, Paul, uh, I've read your your, uh, article and mm-hmm. one of the things that struck me, um, we've, we've been hearing about the brain drain in Iowa, particularly small town and rural Iowa. We've been hearing about that for generations now. Um, yeah. But it struck me that that was not part of your, uh, of your writing. Um, and as one who lived most of my life in rural America, um, there is a deeply held resentment um, against those who furthered their education and then at any level and went any place. But there's a deep resentment of people who went off to college. Um, and I never understood that. Um, mm-hmm. And whenever I dealt with someone, you know, as a tradesman or a repairman or whatever, um, I asked a lot of questions because I wanted to know what they were thinking. And I always viewed mm-hmm. it as a chance to learn something. Um, but it always also struck me that there's there's this deeply held resentment which has morphed into uh, a really severe case of paranoia, cognitive dis- disconnect. Um, that on a personal level, you'd say this person is nuts. <laughs> but there's this collective thing, and I do think they're all nuts. But this is a serious, willful choice of, for lack of a better term, ignorance over knowledge. Yes, um, I don't. I don't disagree with you. As a product of of, of small rural North Missouri, uh, I have felt uh, and and heard and and seen those criticisms not only of myself but others that uh, that that left the, the farm and left rural America. Uh, although maybe I have somewhat of an advantage in that. <clears throat> I was raised in a junkyard in North Missouri, uh, where my dad ran a salvage yard. But in those days, we called it a junkyard. Uh, and my first good-paying job was a bulldozer operator. Uh, and so, so I I have a, a roots in uh, working-class rural culture. But I think that has changed. You know, my my parents and grandparents 
wanted us kids, and there were six of us, to uh, to go to college <clears throat> because they felt that there wasn't an opportunity uh, in our <clears throat> excuse me in our hometown. Nowadays, it seems to me that the pressure has gotten to the point that that it's almost viewed as abandonment or fleeing. Um, and and you know, one of the reasons I didn't use the term brain drain, uh, you know, that's sort of a popular uh, term, but you know, there's an awful lot of smart people that, for one reason or another, elect to stay in rural places. Uh, but if you look at upward mobility, it's it's people like myself that maybe didn't have a family that owned a farm or a business, and we were going to have to either get a, get a job in in construction um, or in uh, in a local manufacturing plant, or get a professional degree. Uh, and that is, of course, that's what what I did. Uh, although it really wasn't my first choice. Uh, I had always sort of planned to farm with my parents and because we had my grandparents had a small farm and and uh, but it didn't it didn't work out but I I am concerned about the issue that you touch upon and that is where where values and beliefs trump science or knowledge uh and we've seen that and we with the pandemic uh, and the vaccination campaign that many people, even though there's scientific evidence about the safety of vaccines, there's still people refusing to take the vaccine because of a whole variety of, of, uh, of misinformation or disinformation. So I, I hear you and I understand uh, that I, the one part you didn't mention, which probably should be brought up, is the is the heavy influence of social media in shaping people's values and beliefs about the issue of, of what's true versus what is fake. And uh, uh, there's there's not been enough research on the influence of social media in shaping uh, our values and beliefs. All right. Terry, do you have a question? Yes. Um, Paul, just a little background. Um, yes, my father was an only child of a farm family, and my mother grew up in a very small town in Iowa um, mm-hmm. of two educators. And so mm-hmm. we've had, you know, the farm history in our family for a, for a long, long time. They first came mm-hmm. from New York in the mid-1800s to Iowa and mm-hmm. farmed the land. So, but my question goes back to the distinct voting patterns, um, because I found this interesting in your article. You talked about how Biden had won rural counties that had large populations of minorities, but also a population growth of 1.8% over the past 10 years versus Trump, who won counties that had an average population decline of 2.5%. I would think that, you know, coming from a rural community, that we would like to see our towns grow, that we would encourage uh, new immigration and new businesses so that our small towns can flourish and not decline. Can you talk about that, please? 
Yes, you know, I, I ran into this same problem a number of years ago in talking about the importance of rural population growth. And I was surprised at the number of people that pushed back on that. Uh, as I was out on the lecture circuit, uh, I almost assumed that everybody agreed that growth was good. Uh, but in fact, there's an awful lot of people that that see increased growth as a, as a negative. Uh, that it brings in people of different values, different beliefs, different ways of life, different in some cases, different language, different culture. And that was sort of my first awakening that the, the notion of the Iowa nice, the welcoming of, of newcomers was, was, uh, was not always accurate. And we've certainly seen that play out in, uh, in, in uh, the last uh, few weeks when uh, the governor of Iowa was asked to, to help take in some of the immigrant children uh, uh, that have crossed the border. Uh, and uh, her retort was uh, Iowans that are not prepared to take in 300 kids. And uh, besides, it's not our problem. It's Biden's problem. Uh, which I, which is diametrically opposed to the values of, of welcoming and wanting growth. If you look at if you look at counties that are growing, much of, uh, rural counties, much of that growth is because of of international immigration. Uh, and I've told people that a hundred years ago, uh, it was my people or your people that immigrated to Iowa, either from either from Western Europe uh, or at least from the East Coast. Uh, and so we, in some ways I describe it as uh, pulling up uh, the gangplank. Uh, we've got a board, uh, so now we pull up the gangplank and deny others. This may be the opportunities that our ancestors had. Okay, Rick. Paul, I uh, was. Uh, I'm glad you brought up uh, the comment from the governor. It's not our problem. <laughs> I've been watching the editorials, uh, uh, ripping uh, that comment uh, to shreds uh, from all over rural and uh, urban Iowa. Can uh, back to the schism where it's uh, this fear and and. Uh, uh, catharsis that the rural areas apparently are going through can this be mended is is there a strategy that people have uh, talked to you about or you thought about how do you go about uh, uh, shrinking that chasm between the rural and the urban areas you know I think it's it it's a complex problem but I don't think it that the solution has to be nearly as complex as people want them out to be. I believe that we need to return to the basic values that hold us together as a state and a nation. I'm, I actually am very concerned that, that elected officials are now driven by what's good for their party, not what is good for their state or for the nation. And so we really need to 
focus on what is it about Iowa or what is it about the United States that we can all agree on. It seems to me that that there are two things that have widened this schism between rural and urban. One of it I mentioned already is the is the social media. The second is the introduction of big money. I think that that uh, one way to pull us back to center is to get big money out of politics. The only people that can run for office these days have to be independently wealthy or spend all their time raising money uh, with uh, various uh, campaigns. Uh, and as a result, much of the time of elected officials is about meeting with lobbyists uh, and raising money. Uh, and so, and the way you raise money, of course, is you have to pander to very narrow special interest. And so the question is, is how do we get election reform or campaign reform so that that legislators can can legislate as opposed to always needing to attend the next banquet to give a speech, to get money, to get reelected. Uh, I think we also need to really look at the First Amendment freedom of speech and the social media. And I know there's all kinds of things being talked about in the national press and and with the various uh, social media platforms. But we have to somehow or another discern the difference between propaganda and misinformation versus a difference in values and beliefs. And, and uh, I, I think that if we, could, if we could start with campaign reform, the issue of, of uh, your freedom ends when it, when, it, when it bumps up against someone else's freedom, you know, it's just some basic beliefs and value agreement on what's best for Iowa, what's best for the nation, and, and maybe de-emphasize uh, the political parties. All right. Well, <clears throat> it is customary for us to give our guests the last word on our show. Paul, why do you think knowing about the rural-urban um, schism is relevant in today's world? All social and economic change is unsettling because change always introduces uncertainty. Uncertainty is, uh, is uncomfortable because it produces gains for some and losses for others. And as I've traveled the Midwest and the state, I hear a lot of rural people talking about what they've lost. And they will recount in some detail the loss of their school, the loss of independent merchants on Main Street, and how they have lost population, and they've, the churches have closed, and gas stations have closed. What they're really doing in those discussions with me are recounting their losses. And that's why the, the, the term people left behind, they feel like that, that while the stock market is at record highs, Main Street in many of the communities is dilapidated and closed, and their young people are leaving, and they're 
angry. Uh, they are, if not angry, they're disappointed. They're dismayed. They 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 visit their cousins in urban America and they see prosperity of new homes and new businesses and new opportunities. That social inequality then is fundamental to, I believe, we need to address that. Too often, we use inequality in terms of racial inequality, but what I'm seeing is is there's a growing class inequality, and, and it's that inequality that I think that has hardened and it's been played up by both parties, uh, and we need to to address what what are the things that hold us together, and not focus on the things that we disagree with. And I guess my final point would be, we have lost our ability to communicate and our inability to be tolerant of others unlike ourselves. All right. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 417th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zap Zapital. My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Paul Lassley, professor of sociology at Iowa State University, who talked to us about the Iowa rural-urban schism. History buffs for today's show were Terry Toppler and Ed Broders. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all listeners to experience the great Posutu proverb, Hotza Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. <music>